Amen. Well, please take your Bibles, and we are in the Gospel of Matthew. If you'll turn there with me at this time, Matthew 22, and uh, verses 15 through 22. Uh, we're continuing in our message series on Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, in this series, we are studying the final week of Jesus' life before he went to the cross. And we've mentioned that we are in a, a section of Scripture that presents a series of contrasts and conflicts. Contrasts and conflicts. So far, we've looked at the contrast between what you say and what you do, right? The contrast between the kingdom taken and the kingdom given. Last week, we looked at the contrast between the many invited and the few who are chosen. And this week, we have a new contrast. The contrast is between God and Caesar, or we could put it this way, God and government. And throughout all these passages, we're seeing this conflict, right, between Jesus and the religious leaders continuing to grow. This is the conflict that will eventually lead Jesus directly to the cross. So we're in Matthew 22, and uh, to get us started, I'm just going to read verses 19 through 22. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 22, verses 19 through 22. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for your word given to us through your Holy Spirit. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take this word and apply it to our lives and to our hearts. Help us to be open to uh, what you would be saying to us this morning as you point out different things perhaps in our lives, uh, different patterns that we need to address and that you are so willing uh, to help us with uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, people often say, if you don't want to get into trouble, then don't talk about religion or politics. And I must be feeling especially brave today because we're going to talk about both, okay? Now, it wasn't my choice. It's just what happens to be in the text next. This is the passage. And it's actually the Pharisees are the ones who bring up this issue but then it's Jesus who gives us the instruction about God and government and the relationship between the two. Now, to put this in context, Jesus has just told three parables. That's what we've done the past several weeks. Three parables against the religious leaders. Now it's their turn. They retaliate by trying to trap Jesus with trick questions. And they're going to do this multiple times. They're going to take turns as they go. As you may recall, they tried a more direct approach before Jesus told the parables where they confronted Jesus directly in the temple and they challenged his authority and that effort did not work out so well for them and guess what, neither are any of these attempts at trickery. Pro tip, when you go up against God, you always lose, okay? Always remember that when you always lose. So this is a passage about God and government because of the question that the Pharisees ask and the answer that Jesus gives them. But, and you may have noticed this from the outline in your worship guide, I encourage you to take that out to follow along, 
But you'll also notice that this is a passage about flattery. In fact, the title of the message is God and Caesar, and then parentheses, and flattery. And that's because of the way the Pharisees approach Jesus. It's how they ask their question. You know, flattery is something that we don't really talk about or think about a whole lot these days, but the Bible treats it as a serious issue. The Bible treats it as a serious sin, and so we're going to spend some time on it this morning. You'll see that two-thirds of our message this morning is on flattery, and then we'll finally get to God and government at the end. And there are actually two lessons for us about flattery in our passage today. Lesson number one is avoid the sin of flattery, and then lesson number two is beware the sin of flattery. So let's take a look at those together. First of all, the first lesson, avoid the sin of flattery. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me now. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. We'll learn a little bit more about them in a moment. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? As we mentioned earlier, the religious leaders are, are they're going to be taking turns, okay, approaching Jesus with these various trick questions. And so first up are the Pharisees, okay? They get first shot at this. And notice they don't even come themselves. They send some of their disciples uh, along with the Herodians, part of their sneak attack here. And here's their question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what you've got to realize is that this is a loaded question, They figure no matter how Jesus answers it, they've got him. They've got him. If he answers, no, it's not right to pay Caesar taxes, okay, we're going to go report you to the Roman authorities, and I have you arrested uh, for sedition or treason. If he answers, yes, it's right to pay Caesar uh, taxes, then they can brand him as a friend of the Romans, as a traitor to the Jews, and they can undercut his ministry to the people. Now, the the two groups here, the Herodians, the Herodians, you can see the word Herod in it, they're on the side of the Romans. The Pharisees, they're on the side of the Jews. And here they come in together asking this trap question where if Jesus answers one way, he's going to offend the the Herodians. If he answers the other way, he's going to offend the Pharisees. It's a perfect setup, perfect team they've sent to ask this question. But I want you to notice how they approach Jesus with this question. Because they don't just go straight up and ask him, right? I mean, if they really wanted to know the answer, they'd just go up and ask him. What do they do? They begin with flattery. They call him teacher. Oh, teacher, as if they've ever wanted to listen to any of his teachings, right? Teacher. They tell him, we know you're a man of integrity. We know you teach just the truth. They say, we know you're not swayed by men. You don't pay any attention to who they are. Maybe they're trying to bait them into saying something against the Roman government here. They say, we want to know your opinion on this. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't want to know his opinion at all. They're trying to trap him. Now, everything they say is pretty much true, isn't it? Jesus is a teacher, right? Jesus is a man of integrity. Jesus does teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Jesus is not swayed by other people's opinions. So all these things they're saying about him are true, but their motives in saying them 
are absolutely wrong. They don't believe any of this themselves. They don't want Jesus' opinion. All they want to do is to trap him in his words. And folks, this is what we could call a textbook example of what the Bible means by the sin of flattery. Now, the Bible tells us that we should avoid the sin of flattery for several reasons. First of all, we should avoid the sin of flattery because the flatterer is insincere. The flatterer is insincere. We read from Psalm 12 earlier in the service. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. Deception, insincerity. Psalm 55 describes the flatterer this way. In verse 21, his speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Or we read in Psalm 62, 4, they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies with their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. And don't all of these verses completely describe what the Pharisees are doing here? The Pharisees, the Herodians, they, they seem to be saying nice things about Jesus, right? But they're not sincere. They're speaking with deception. Their words are smooth as butter, but war is in their hearts. With their mouths they bless Jesus, but in their hearts they curse. That's the first reason we should avoid the sin of flattery. The flatterer is insincere. Then a second reason we should avoid the sin of flattery is because the flatterer plays on a person's pride. Have you ever noticed that? That's what the flatterer's doing. They're playing on a person's pride. Now, pride is often viewed as the deadliest of all the sins. Pride was the sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven. Pride was the sin that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. Pride is the sin that causes countless people to fall in the present every single day. So when you flatter someone, when you play up to their pride, you're not doing them any favors, right? Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then Proverbs 26, 28 says this, a lying tongue hates those it hurts. And a flattering mouth works ruin. You might wonder, well, why is flattery so harmful to a person? Because you're playing on their pride. You're tempting them to pride, and pride leads to destruction. A third reason we should avoid the sin of flattery is because the flatterer seeks to gain something for themselves. And we read about certain flatterers in the book of Jude in the New Testament, verse 16. Jude writes this, he says, they follow their own evil desires, they boast about themselves, and they flatter others for their own advantage. It's right there, isn't it? They flatter others for their own advantage. The Apostle Paul associated the sin of flattery with the sin of greed. Greed, once again, is wanting something for yourself. 1 Thessalonians 2.5, he writes, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. If you go to the dictionary and look up the definition of flattery in the dictionary, here's the definition. Excessive 
and insincere praise given especially to further one's own interest. It's right there in the definition. The whole purpose of flattery is to further your own interest. There's always a selfish motive attached to flattery. You know what the main difference is between flattery and a compliment? Have you ever thought about that? The main difference between flattering someone or giving them a genuine compliment? The difference is this. Who gets the benefit? Who benefits? You know, when, when, you, when you give somebody a sincere compliment, they're the ones who gain, right? You're, you're sincere. You're giving them a compliment. They feel good about themselves. They feel encouraged. But when you flatter a person, you're trying to benefit yourself. That's the third reason we should avoid the sin of flattery. Flattery is selfish. The flatterer always seeks to gain something for themselves. Final reason we should avoid the sin of flattery is simply that God will judge the flatterer for their sin. You know, in the book of Job, we have a number of people who speak up at different times. One of them is named Elihu, and we read Elihu's words here in Job 32. And Elihu says, I will show partiality to no one, nor will I flatter any man. For if I were skilled in flattery, my maker would soon take me away. God's judgment on the sin of flattery. Uh, Or again, in Proverbs 29, verses 5 and 6, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. An evil man is snared by his own sin, but a righteous one can sing and be glad. When you first read that, you go, oh man, the, the, the flatter is spreading, you know, if you flatter your neighbor, you're spreading a net for their feet. That's all what it means. I mean, yeah, you are spreading a net for their feet, but what it means is you're spreading a net for your own feet. That's what the next part says, right? An evil man is snared by his own sin. That's part of God's judgment. You spread the net for them. You're the one who's going to get caught in it. And so the Bible says that we should avoid the sin of flattery. The flatterer is insincere. The flatterer plays on a person's pride. They seek to gain something for themselves, and God will judge the sin of flattery. That's all avoiding. But the Bible not only tells us to avoid this sin, the Bible also warns you, beware the sin of flattery. Now let's go back to Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew 22, uh, picking up in verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? We should not only avoid committing the sin of flattery against others, the Bible also warns us we should beware beware others committing the sin of flattery against us. And that's what Jesus does here. You know, they're dangling the bait for Jesus. Jesus is not biting. He does not fall for this at all. The Bible tells us several things we can do here to beware the sin of flattery. First of all, ask God to help you discern other people's motives. Ask God to help you discern other people's motives. Now, you'll notice Jesus immediately knew the motives of the Pharisees, right? He immediately knew that their intentions were evil. Now, we're not Jesus, okay? We can't see into a person's heart. So what do we do? We ask God to help us discern other people's motives. We find a good example of this kind of prayer in the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Lead me, O Lord, 
in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue, they speak deceit. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Why? Because of my enemies. Because there are people out there who want to trip me up. Because not everybody has my best interests in mind. Jesus knew better than to trust every good thing people said about him. We read this in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem, this is an earlier time when he was at Jerusalem, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing. They believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. There's an old blues song lyric that goes, some folks smile and they seem all right until you later find out they were an angel of light. And you've got to realize not everybody is looking out for your best interest. Beware the sin of flattery. Ask God to help you discern other people's motives. And then secondly, ask God to help you discern your own motives, okay? In other words, other people aren't the only ones with bad motives out there. We struggle with that ourselves, don't we? The Pharisees tried to manipulate Jesus by appealing to his sense of pride. Big mistake. Why? Because Jesus doesn't struggle with the sin of pride. They were trying to tempt him with something that he was not tempted by. And so their attempt at manipulation failed miserably. But once again, we're not Jesus, are we? We struggle with pride all the time, and so we need to ask God to help us discern our own motives. And there are several good prayers you can pray along this line, uh, also from the book of Psalms. I love Psalm 19, verses 12 and 13. Great prayer. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Saying, God, I know there's all sorts of hidden things in me that I don't even know. Reveal them to me. Help me to discern my own motives. And then Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is a real good one, too. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to help you discern your own motives. Don't let other people manipulate you by giving in to your own sinful pride. And then thirdly, ask God to help you address people clearly and directly. You'll notice Jesus didn't waste any words with the Pharisees, did he? He confronted them directly with their true motives. He said, you hypocrites. He said, why are you trying to trap me? You know, he confronted them with what they were doing. And he didn't hide from their question. He didn't try to sugarcoat his answer. And in the same way, we need to ask God to help us address people clearly and directly in love. Easy to do? No. Hard to do. Real hard, isn't it? And that's why we need to ask God to help us. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, 
but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Ephesians 4, 25 instructs us, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Jesus spoke clearly and directly to the Pharisees. They asked him the question. He said, show me the coin. Show me the coin used to pay the tax. He asked them a direct question. Whose portrait is this on the coin? Whose inscription? And that leads us now to our final uh, section, which is on the role of God and government. So we're going to switch gears here now. Okay, Leave flattery behind for right now. God and government. And in this final section, Jesus answers their question about paying taxes to Caesar. Remember, that was their question they were leading up to by clarifying clarifying the proper limits, the proper limits and role of government. And you know what? We often struggle with this, don't we, to find the right relationship between religion and politics, between God and government. And there's all sorts of ways we make mistakes in this area. Sometimes we make the mistake of bringing politics into the church. Sometimes the government makes the mistake of intruding on the church. Sometimes the church makes the mistake of trying to legislate what other people believe when you can never force true Christian belief. It has to come willingly, voluntarily. Then, of course, you have the whole area, the whole question of morals and ethics, and, and how can we as Christians, by being good citizens and by being involved and through praying for our leaders and speaking up and voting, how do we as Christians influence government to act in good and godly ways on behalf of our community and nation? These are all important questions, and here in Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, Jesus clarifies for us the proper limits and role of government. They brought in the denarius. Jesus held it up, said, whose portrait is on here? Whose picture? Whose inscription? And we read their final exchange now in verses 21 and 22. He's holding the coin, Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. And folks, just like all of Jesus' answers, this is a brilliant answer on Jesus' part. Notice he didn't fall into their trap of saying yes or no to this question of paying taxes. Instead, by using a very brilliant and simple illustration, holding up this one little coin, he helps us understand the right relationship between God and government. Now, you'll notice in your outline, the Bible tells us three main things about government. Number one, God established government for our good. Number two, you are to give everyone what you owe them, which we'll see includes paying your taxes. And three, you must obey God rather than man. We're going to look at all three of those now uh, briefly in our time remaining. First of all, God established government for our good. For our good. We read this in Romans 13, verses 1 through 4. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. 
Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. So these verses tell us not only that God established government, but that God established government for our good. Now that does not mean that everything, the government or any government in the world that has ever existed, that everything the government does is automatically good. You know the old joke, right? The most frightening words in the world are, hello, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, right? (laughs) Most frightening words ever. And yet God really did establish government for our good. Because imagine for a moment if there were no government. No government. Imagine if there were no laws. Imagine if there were no systems in place to restrain human sin and to work through issues of fairness and justice. Everything would be anarchy and chaos. God established government for our good. That's the first principle of government. Second principle is this. You are to give everyone what you owe them. We also read this in Romans 13, jumping ahead to verses 6 and 7. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And see, this is the point Jesus was making with the denarius. The Pharisees asked him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Takes that denarius, he holds it up. Whose picture is this? Caesar. Whose inscription is this? Caesar. And Jesus' answer is basically this. He says, well, if it belongs to Caesar, give it back to him. (laughs) It's Caesar's. Give it back. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. The coin was stamped with Caesar's image, showing that it belonged to to Caesar. He was the one who issued the money. He was the one who ultimately it goes back to. The coin was stamped with Caesar's image, showing that it belonged to Caesar. We are created in God's image, showing that we belong to God. Now, the principle we're looking at here is give everyone what you owe them. Well, you owe everything To God, right? You owe him your very life. You are created in God's image, which means you belong to God and you owe him everything. And just like Jesus told the Pharisees, give that denarius back to Caesar, Jesus is telling us you need to give yourselves back to God. And then our third principle of government is this, you must obey God rather than man. You must obey God rather than men. Yes, God established government for your good. Yes, God tells you to give everyone what you owe them. But God still comes first. And so when God and government disagree, you obey God rather than man. You know, this is what the apostles did in the book of Acts. The apostles were out in the temple healing people, teaching in Jesus' name. And so they were arrested. And we read in Acts 5, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. 
And the high priest told them, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They were the government. They were the authority. But Peter and his apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Folks, this is a perfect example of what Jesus taught concerning God and government. Give to the government what you owe to the government. Give to God what you owe to God. And you owe God your worship and your obedience before any obedience to any earthly entity. It's not that there are two separate realms. It's not like you've got government and government is supreme and sovereign over everything in its realm. And then you've got God and, and God is you know, sort of sovereign and supreme over his area. You don't have two separate realms, the sacred and the secular. God is sovereign over all the realms, over everything, sacred and secular. So that's the third principle we learn from Jesus, Jesus' words. You must obey God rather than man. So let me close by asking you a couple of questions. What do you owe the government this morning? Do you owe the government taxes? Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, you need to pay them. Do you owe the government your prayers? Then you need to pray. Do you owe the government respect? Then you need to respect your government leaders even if you disagree with them, perhaps especially if you disagree with them. Second question, what do you owe God this morning? God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you could be saved, so that your sins could be forgiven, and so that you could live your life for him and for God's glory. What do you owe God this morning? You owe him your life. You owe him your love and your worship. You owe him your loyalty and your obedience. You owe him your humble confession of sin. You owe him your desire to please him, to glorify him, to honor him first in your life. Everything you have comes from God. Therefore, you owe God everything. So these are the lessons from our passage this morning. Avoid the sin of flattery. Beware the sin of flattery. Know the proper role and limits of government. Glorify God by obeying the law, by paying your taxes, by praying for your leaders, by being a good citizen, and by putting God first in all things. Or as Jesus put it, more simply than anybody else ever could, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Amen? Let's pray. Well, dear Lord, you've challenged us this morning from your word. The first challenge is for us to consider our lives as far as flattery. And Lord, maybe we've been doing this. Maybe we've been out of manipulating people and flattering them for our own advantage and not really even being aware of what we were doing. I pray, God, if that's a pattern in our lives that you would bring that to our minds, that we would understand that and that we would repent of that and turn away from that and speak honestly and truthfully and lovingly to people instead. And Lord, you've warned us to uh, beware of people who may be wanting to manipulate us and, and, and might you know, draw us into the sin of pride. Lord, help us to be aware of our own hearts and our own sin and our own motives. 
And Lord, you've reminded us that we owe you all things, that we need to give to you what is yours. And our life is yours. We give ourselves to you this morning. And Lord, help us to understand this relationship between you and government and the authorities that you've established, that we may glorify you uh, in our relationship to the authorities you've placed over us. Help us in all of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us stand together as we close the song of grace.